Welcome to the 2020-30 podcast. Uh, today I am in the studio, online studio with Lavinia Mood, a dear colleague of mine of Studio MMO4. And I am Magdalena Schafrin and one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Studio MMO4. And we are the organizers of the 2020-30, the Berlin Fashion Summit. And uh, I hope you've been listening to our latest podcast as well. This is like our series uh, we are taking and we are discussing the topics we are having on our conference, which is taking place once a year um, during Berlin Fashion Week. And our next pop-up edition will be in July. And I'm very much looking forward to it and to see you hopefully then there. Our topic for today will be about uh, the upcoming EU legislation framework, the EU textile strategy, and in a special, we will talk about the Green Claims Directive. But we will be referring to other directives and uh, other um, strategies of the EU around that as well, because um, this is not only the EU Green Claims Directive, uh, which is actually coming uh, and uh, get put into place, uh, but also some others. So you will learn a lot about the upcoming legislation and also about the details, uh, what's actually in it and what it means for the industry. Already in January, in our last edition of 2020-30, the Berlin Fashion Summit, we hold a, a workshop with the Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, Nuclear Safety and Consumer Protection, which actually Lavinia was uh, doing for us. There we already talked about the Green Claims Directive. So Lavinia, maybe you you can um, tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to Studio MMO4 and what uh, you've discussed uh, with the people uh, joining in the workshop in January. Yes, of course I do. And thank you very much, Magdalena. Also for this roundup of uh, introduction, already so much information we need to tackle today within this podcast issue. So I'm Lavinia. I am a business economist uh, specialized in sustainability in the textile world and agriculture. I started as a consultant and then I actually wanted to quit fashion because... Uh, <laughs> Well, I think everybody who works in fashion once in a while wants to quit <laughs> fashion <laughs> because it's this, you know, dirty world um, with, you know, we all know about bad working conditions and um, yeah, the struggle to align sustainability strategies with a system of production, which is highly unsustainable, right? So yeah, I wanted to quit fashion. But then I didn't quit fashion because I received a really nice offer from Amp Angels, um, Germany's pioneer in sustainable fashion. And then I led the sustainability activities at Amp Angels for four years. And since approximately one year, um, I'm self-employed. Um, I'm a freelancer and I do also uh, co-work, co-learn and cooperate with Studio MM04. And I'm very happy to be part of this beautiful crazy and diverse team <laughs> <Obviously>, um, <laughs> thank you Berliners <laughs> and I think it was uh, last um, winter 2022 when Max your partner asked me if I would be available for an anti-greenwashing workshop and actually 
as I'm not interested at all in marketing, in the beginning I was, hmm, I don't know if I would really like to specialize, you know, in this field. But then I was like, okay, within this new proposal of the EU Green Claims Directive, this could actually be an interesting field, you know, where um, I personally, but also like people working in sustainability might have some proper impact, you know. And uh, yeah, and then I sat down with Max and you and um, Ingo Strube from the ministry, whose name is so long in German and in English, so I'm not <laughs> The Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, Nuclear Safety and Consumer Protection. Uh, protection. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, and we created a workshop uh, format for the 2020-30 summit in January. And it was a community workshop. Uh, so basically we created the workshop to be for the people and not um, only uh, in order to, um, you know, spread out um, some information. So we really wanted to engage with the participants. And in end of January, there was not yet the proposal of the Green Claims Directive published. But in 2022, there was a kind of WikiLeaks, there was a leak of the proposal. So we already knew more or less what was going to happen. And it was really, really, really interesting because uh, the workshop was full of people. I had no idea that so many people uh, would be interested, you know, in this field of very specialized marketing. But I think that brands, PR people and also consumers, they were already sensing, you know, the urgency that we need to change our sustainability communication and prepare ourselves uh, for the future. Yeah, and I mean, this is something uh, the EU also um, claims and uh, writes out uh, very clearly that the Green Claims Directive especially, um, but it's also related to the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive. These two directives are actually uh, linking very much um, to another and uh, the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive is already in place. Uh, and I think um, the EU also pointed out in their papers uh, that consumers, uh, and they also did some studies and some questionnaires around uh, the um, consumers in within the EU, that uh, most of the consumers are not really trusting the labeling of uh, products, especially the green labeling. And this is something uh, which is also true because they also figured that more than approximately half the labels were not really backed by uh, third audits, third, third party audits or like legal entities. This is why they are actually tackling um, also the like the the topic of greenwashing, and this is also I think um, why people are also very sensible for that, um, and it's also important that it actually comes in place and uh, will like uh, will be a legal framework um, to it. It's it's super interesting right now because uh, right now we are or like the EU is in the process of discussing um, the details of the directive. So it has been uh, gone through through the Parliament uh, I think last week. So the proposal of the Commission has been um, approved by the Parliament, but now uh, the discussion starts between the three entities uh, in the EU, and now of course all the lobbying uh, people are also working on it. So it will be really interesting to figure out and see uh, what actually comes out and is actually written. Uh, in the final proposal then, but uh, you can probably <laughs> talk about that a bit uh, more. 
<laughs> very quickly. Uh, but but let's uh, let's inform our um, audience a bit on the EU textile strategy because I don't know if everyone actually knows like a um, like the broad framework uh, what's actually in it and um, why the EU started with the EU textile strategy in the beginning. Maybe you can uh, talk a bit about that. Ah. Uh. All of this is so complex. I mean, everything which comes from Brussels, you know, is so complex and it's like really not easy to understand. So I think, um, first of all, we need to explain that there's an EU, European Union, new green deal, you know, which is supposed to tackle all different industries and sectors. And this is not fashion, you know. Focused. For example, the EU Green Claims Directive, which is this proposal for, you know, regulating sustainability communication, is also supposed to tackle all industries and sectors, you know. And below the EU Green Deal, there's the EU textiles strategy. So it's not separated, but somehow it belongs below the same umbrella of the EU uh, New Green Deal. Obviously, I have read a lot about the EU textile strategy, but I'm no specialized in that. Um, I do believe that um, the European Union, after uh, years of discussion and after years of observing individual national sustainable textile alliances, like you know, the German Textile Bündnis, German Alliance for Sustainable Textiles. I think the Netherlands, the Dutch have something similar. The French have something similar. They realized, okay, uh, within the European Union, because we are like one big trade market, you know, uh, we should also define uh, like a couple of umbrella requirements in order to tackle all the different challenges and in order to make sure that products which are imported into the EU do comply with certain requirements. And I think the EU textiles strategy has so many <laughs> topics and points, but I believe that three of the most important topics are, for example, that they're supposed to be a so-called digital product passport. Yeah, this is part of the eco-design for sustainable product regulation. This is uh, this was the topic uh, we were discussing yesterday. Uh, so this is one of the parts of the EU textile strategy and one of the actually legal frameworks which is coming into place um, over the EU. The other ones are directives. It's uh, actually also I, I learned yesterday that that's uh, different. Yes, it um, is there's a, a difference. difference between directives and, and regulation sets and uh, the. Uh, so-called ESPR, uh, it's actually going to be a regulation set. And uh, within this ESPR, it's uh, one topic is the digital, digital passport. Product passport, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think this yeah. is one of the one of the things which is coming up, which is um, which will affect most brands and which will also serve consumers. So it's supposed to be... So basically every um, textile product which is sold or, well, produced and then sold within the European Union is supposed to have a passport, like a kind of digital uh, QR code or NFC tech or whatever. It's not yet um, defined what kind of, you know, technology is supposed to be behind it, where also the people participating in the supply chain and also the consumers and may have access to and might receive information on uh, supply chain issues, on materials used, and most importantly, 
And this has to do with a big goal to eventually become uh, circular <laughs> or reach a circular economy in the near future with information what to do with a textile item, with a clothing after uh, the consumers uh, finish using it, you know, in order uh, to implement, well, a consumer strategy um, so that textile products uh, might live longer. So there's going to be information about how to dispose of <laughs> the product, where where to give it for recycling, where to give it for reselling, um, and so on and so forth. The other parts of the EU textile strategy, uh, beside the Green Claims Directive, uh, which is connected to the Unfor Commercial Practices Directive uh, and the Eco Design for Sustainable Products Regulation, uh, is uh, there is coming an Eco Design Directive, which is um, more or less um, tackling energy related products, which is also, of course, uh, then for fashion and uh, textile products. And uh, there is a new uh, waste and energy directive uh, coming up, which is also connected connected uh, to like the product and the design of product. And then uh, what has also passed the parliament last week is the new due diligence law set. Uh, I don't know, oh, yes. you, you certainly know about that as well, uh, which is the second uh, bigger part, which is also affecting the textile and fashion industry very much. Because, uh, I mean, in the um, EU textile strategy, uh, now we are talking a lot about uh, like communication and also ecological aspects. But I mean, the whole social aspects uh, are actually um, like uh, implemented uh, with the due diligence uh, law set. And I mean, um, one plan which is also relevant for all this uh, like um, content uh, or for all the contents uh, we are talking about is the new circular economy action plan. Um, so the EU will uh, or try to foster a circular economy on a broad level. So this is the goal. Um, and they also claim to uh, stop um, fast fashion and uh, bring the or turn the uh, whole um, textile and uh, fashion industry into like a circular model. So uh, this is like um, a high goal. This is very ambitious. Um, but yesterday when I was um, listening to Dr. Christian Ehlers, which is, uh, who is a member of the parliament and uh, Thierry Breton, who is the commissioner for internal market, they both have actually pointed out that uh, this law sets and these directives, which are now discussed and coming into place, uh, they are uh, a turning point for the industry. And I believe so. So this is really interesting because the textile and fashion industry have never been regulated before. Um, so, I mean, of course, there's like some uh, uh, regulations on chemicals and others, which uh, already affected the textile industry kind of a lot. But um, like the industry itself has never uh, been regulated in the past. Uh, and this is uh, this is super interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting um, time right now. So let's dive into a bit, uh, let's dive into the Green Claims Directive. So uh, what is the Green Claims Directive? Can you just uh, wrap up uh, what's actually in it and what it's meant for? Yes. If I'm allowed, like, uh, because sometimes, you know, I, I think the both of us, we know what we're talking about and we somehow have, you know, an overview of this uh, framework of, you know, legislations, mm -hmm. regulations and directives, which... Um, are coming up but like just for the just for the listeners to understand it's very complex and there's a lot of new papers coming up and whatever but at the end of the day what is happening in the EU to like sum it up it's like that finally as you said there's going to be a mandatory and obligatory framework and this has not been happening in the past the past 
in the past, I mean, there were some regulations and the industry was regulated, but on a voluntary basis. And what we've learned from it, well, we almost learned anything from it. The, the only thing we actually learned from it, that voluntary standards and requirements <laughs> do not lead to nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> the textile and fashion industry has not improved. You know, we are talking since 20 years about living wages. We are talking since, I don't know, 25 years um, about like a, supposed to be green production and nothing basically has structurally and systemically uh, been changed uh, for the better. And uh, that's why it's so cool that and now all these um, yeah, legislative frameworks, um, you know, are updated. And finally, um, especially private companies, um, you know, are to be held accountable of their business activities. And in case they are failing, you know, and violating these new laws and regulations, they need to pay. And we also know that, unfortunately, we live in a world where things only change and business only change if business people feel it in terms of <laughs> financial sanctions. It's just the truth. Anyways, so I'm jumping now to the Green Claims Directive. I think the most important point is that in the near future, it's basically prohibited and forbidden to um, communicate vague and unsubstantiated claims. What are vague and unsubstantiated claims? Uh, well, um, I would say 95% of sustainability communication, which is out there, is vague and unsubstantiated. <laughs> so <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so like the word sustainable, responsible, conscious. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So all of these, you know, fluffy puffy, uh, you know, sustainability communication, which is out there, what you just mentioned, you know, sustainable, eco-friendly, low impact, blah, 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 blah. All these, all these wordings where if you, you know, actually think about taking a brand accountable, it's like, like, I always ask myself, what do you actually mean? I mean, what is even meant by that? sustainable you know i mean we are also talking i mean we're talking about sustainability and trying to define a global um meaning or definition of sustainability since i don't know like 30 years and we do not come to a point so sustainable uh, what is sustainable and what is not sustainable um it's very individual and it's very um subjective um, then um, you might ask yourself, what does substantiated or unsubstantiated mean? That means um, that basically when you say something, you need a science-based evidence. So, for example, you, Magdalena, uh, if you want to sell a T-shirt and you want to uh, prepare a marketing campaign around it, and um, you assume that your T-shirt in your production of your supply chain might use less water than uh, other T-shirts, um, you might want to communicate, this T-shirt um, uses 30% less water than a conventional t-shirt and if you don't have any scientific based evidence like any test reports any 
any any information which backs up this claim, then the claim is unsubstantiated. And um, yeah, as I said in the beginning, I do believe that 95% of the sustainability communication in the fashion industry right now is vague and unsubstantiated. Uh, now you might understand because um, yeah, most brands are using vague claims and most brands use data and figures where they do not have any science-based evidence uh, around it. So they can answer there are studies claims. outside uh, out there. Um, so there are probably science-based figures out there, but uh, then the connection is not uh, given to the product itself. Exactly. The context, contextualizing, you know, properly contextualizing information and claims is very important. So first of all, again, vague and unsubstantiated claims are going to be forbidden. So be careful. Uh, then the second uh, most important point, I believe, is um, when you uh, communicate that your product might be better than another product, um, you need to take the whole product and the whole product life cycle into account. So, for example, coming back to the T-shirt. Now let's talk about a T-shirt which might have 50% of cotton, 50% of polyester inside. Um, then you are supposed to communicate the whole impact of the whole product. So you cannot only use um, sustainability communication around the cotton, right? So you are not allowed to say, um, well, mostly natural fibers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> or organic fibers, even, or it's responsible because it's uh, using organic fibers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, you have to take the whole product into account and you also have to highlight the negative impact scenarios. So you're not supposed to only communicate the positive impact scenarios around a product. You also have to communicate the negative impact scenarios. This is very interesting because there's always some negative impact scenarios. Yeah, and then the third... <laughs> Exactly. The third um, major topic, I believe, is uh, fair comparison. So whenever you do a comparison, for example, when you again, let's take a T-shirt again as example. When you say our T-shirts are better for the environment because X or compared to X, you have to make a comparison um, which is fair, and that means actually comparable. So you're not supposed to compare that, for example, a hundred percent cotton t-shirt with a hundred percent polyester t-shirt. So whenever you uh, create a marketing campaign around a hundred percent cotton t-shirt, doesn't matter if it's organic or not, you cannot use in sustainability communication any positive impact def definition, for example, comparing the cotton t-shirt to a polyester t-shirt. Again here, you're not supposed to communicate, our t-shirt um, is made of natural fibers and supports biodiversity because it is natural in comparison, you know, to a polyester t-shirt made out of fossil fuels. That's not a fair comparison. So when you compare 100% cotton t-shirt you need to compare it with another cotton t-shirt 
and then you might be struggling to find some, you know, <laughs> positive, positive impact scenarios. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all of this means that brands and especially marketing peers um, have to become involved more in actual production and actual impact scenarios of the supply chains and of um, sustainability. And I think that's a really good point because, I mean, we all know that most brands out there do um, do spend much more money uh, on marketing than on actual environmental protection. And this really needs to change. This probably changes, uh, but it, it is also about gaining back consumers' trust because, I mean, consumers, they are not trusting in any labeling anymore. I think it's uh, like a third of the consumers, they, they are absolutely confused about like uh, claiming and uh, green claims especially, but also like about uh, labeling. And this is also something we could uh, quickly discuss um, because uh, we have also like in within the Green Claims Directive, it's also said uh, that you can state, you do can state um, responsibility claims, let's say, or sustainability claims if they are backed up, uh, substantiated. Uh, so uh, by, for example, certifications, uh, which are then um, backed by third party audits, for example. Oh, yeah, for by accredited, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, 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 this is something I do see highly problematic, I must <laughs> admit. I mean, on one hand, I do understand the EU's um, idea behind this, because I do understand that a certain management system and a certain due diligence has to be behind any kind of labeling and um, also any kind of sustainability communication. But uh, let's face the truth. You know, uh, it's a whole money-making machine um, which um, has been set up over the last 15 years if we talk about certification schemes and accredited, you know, textile, environmental or social um, standards, and it's all privatized. So sometimes I question all of this evolution, and I do believe um, It will be highly challenging, especially in terms of um, financing all of this, you know, because we know that certification and accreditation of third party um, labels is very costly. Um, but we talk about approximately 60 percent of small and medium sized uh, fashion brands and also manufacturing units in the textile industry, like on average, more, more or less. And, uh, you know, right now we are. Post-pandemic recession, everybody is cutting, um, you know, budgets um, and costs. And uh, I do understand manufacturers as well as brands um, in case they doubt um, the management systems behind certain uh, supposed to be uh, verified third-party um, certifications. Um, so, yeah, especially when the actual goal is a, just uh, is a just transition, right? So we have to become active. So I'm a bit afraid and I'm really worried that we will be um, concentrating a little too much on, again, auditing and setting up these accreditation and certification systems uh, instead of actually reducing 
water usage, GHG emissions, uh, finally, eventually, you know, paying garment workers properly and so on and so forth. And I'm really, really, really um, curious what certification labels will be approved by the European Union. And yeah, this is one interesting which point. Criteria. But also, I think uh, you are not the only critical voice uh, in that area. This is why I was uh, I <laughs> pointing it a bit out, uh, because I think there's a, a lot of other voices also raising now that uh, this can't be like the final um, like the final, uh, final um, setting of the framework that uh, only third-party audited um, certifications um, are like uh, or like uh, backed by national authorities um, can back up green claims but I mean it, it's going to be difficult to to find another solution for that do you have uh, would you have an idea yeah I do believe that certain you know state controls um, should be um, much stricter and better. And I really want to see some companies bleeding, you know. I I would really like to see... I mean, the question is, how do we finance this, right? <laughs> how does even the state finance this, you know, state controls and state audits um, and so on and so forth. But um, if we talk about a just transition, I, I think we should focus more on collaboration and finding ways to co-invest and co-finance actual sustainable development um, and not, you know, um, focusing on, you know, everybody needs to audit their own unit alone and needs to pay for it. I don't know if if this is understandable, um, absolutely. what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, for me, it's absolutely okay, cool. understandable. And I think for our audience as well. Um, the question would be, um, because coming back to the green claims, uh, we've just uh, learned that uh, what's not going to be possible to be uh, communicated. Uh, so in uh, your understanding, because I mean, right now it's it's very much unclear. I think we need to state that at this point as well. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. we have our understanding and I mean, it's probably common uh, with a, a lot of others, uh, but it's not really like settled into like a, cr a clear um clear uh, sentences um, and it's not really formulated uh, like into like the 100%. So uh, what is actually possible to communicate um, coming to like green or sustainability communication? Uh, that's a good question. I'm really good at, uh, you know, um, the negative, <laughs> the negative, like <laughs> telling people what not to do. Mm -hmm. And I really have to work on my own strategy, I must admit, you know, in order to be able to actually tell people <laughs> what they are allowed to communicate. I think, first of all, as I said before, I think brands and sourcing agencies have to become more related to their supply chains and their actual productions. You know, we need to assess properly what's actually going on in production. And um, you are allowed, I mean, at the end of the day, you can say everything you want in case it's backed up, you know, in case you, <laughs> you have scientific-based um, evidence. So... Um, if you know, thanks to a reporting scheme, a test report, primary data, you know, from your supply chain that in your specific supply chain of this specific T-shirt, you are reducing the water usage by 30 percent, then you can communicate this. 
you know, but you can just not communicate this if you just grab this information or this misinformation from some Guardian unserious article from the Internet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame Guardian <laughs> I do because it's not a see I mean they are doing awesome work in terms of you know uh, awareness for uh, end consumers and you know civil society but uh, you know they're not no scientists you know so it's not a serious um, reference you know to communicate um, you know scientific based evidence It's right? not a scientific <laughs> evidence. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's so. <laughs> we, can, we can clarify that, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, totally. And if you do comparisons, if you do compare products, um, compare them fairly, you know. If you've got um, a leather shoe, you need to compare it in case you want to talk about positive impact Uh, of your shoe, you need to compare it with another leather shoe and not with a shoe made out of PU, right? Or some other um, material, I think. And um, yeah, it's not that hard, you know. I think everybody who has written a kind of, you know, scientific thesis, you know, in his or her life, um, because like scientific research works like that and it's not rocket science. We've all done it. We are all able to do it. Um, so basically whatever you say, you need a reference and this needs to be scientifically based when it comes to sustainability communication uh, and that's it. And uh, I really don't understand why the marketing world is struggling so hard. I mean, It's going to be challenging. Um, when you look at a fashion product, I mean, um, it, uh, it's not a mono material product, for example. Uh, so you have different materials uh, in it. Uh, so you would need to explain for uh, every material, for example, and for your production steps uh, when, you, when it comes to social um, aspects, uh, why it is actually, why this material is better than another. And I, I think this is also something which is, uh, it will be mandatory that consumers actually understand at the product itself, at the product explanation itself, uh, why this product, especially this one, um, is actually better uh, than another one or it is uh, has a lower impact um, in terms of CO2, water, what, whatsoever, what uh, will be regulated, I don't know yet. Um, and, and I mean, this can give uh, clarification, but it can also be kind of complex <laughs> for consumers to understand. No, it's super complex. I think marketing peers, especially, you know, people working in marketing, they need uh, a new kind of training, actually. And because I do see, because we, we were talking a lot about the things we cannot say anymore, and I know that a lot of marketing peers and also people working at brands, they're like... Yeah, but what about creativity, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think this is also an opportunity, but we need to open up our perspectives. And I think it's humanity's and the fashion world's choice, you know, to be destructive or to be creative. And I mean destructive, destructive in the sense of, do we want to keep on, you know, using people in textile and garment supply chains as we were using them over the last years? Do we want to suck out nature's, you know, resources for the sake of a textile product as we have been doing it? Or do we want to 
actually become creative and design and produce different kind of products and then also create different kind of stories around these products. So I do see a lot of uh, opportunities to um, to stay creative, but in another sense. So to have some motivating words. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's about translating like the probably complex science data into uh, like understandable claims. And uh, I mean, this is a, a bit a different task maybe than it was before, but I think uh, it's challenging and uh, fashion will have a solution because I mean, fashion is one of the most creative industries and uh, driving also creativity um, in, in within. Yeah. Europe. And like change agencies, you know, like Studio MMO4 and the Foreign Fashion Hub um, can help. There. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> we can. We are actually doing Ooh. a workshop. This is super nice. <laughs> We're actually doing a workshop in July on uh, EU um, textile strategy and uh, green green claims directive um, during uh, the 2020-30 pop-up uh, and the premium exhibition. So uh, if you are interested to learn more uh, about it, uh, then please come and join us uh, in July. And thank you, Lavinia, for this uh, wonderful con- conversation. Uh, I think we will have a lot to talk about uh, in the upcoming months and years, oh, probably. Yes. <laughs> we will actually um, dive deeper into our conversation during a um, workshop uh, during the 2020-30 pop-up edition uh, this summer in July during Berlin Fashion Week. It will be hosted uh, during on Station Berlin, uh, where Premium and Seek trade shows are also happening. Uh, so... Um, keep yourself updated and you can already register for this edition on the 202030summit.com website and if you follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram you will receive our news on upcoming speakers and also about the workshops so we will continue this conversation and we will have a lot to talk and to learn and to also teach and ask you about the upcoming frameworks in the different directors I'm pretty sure And I'm super glad, Lavinia, that you were um, here with us and uh, we will hear more from you in the future.